Well, I believe that I'm going to read the text first, then I'm going to lead us in prayer, and then we'll go back to it and through it, Lord willing. Chapter 11. And as you're turning to chapter 11, that means we've got chapter 12 next week, and we will wrap up the book of Ecclesiastes then next week. The following week, which is two weeks, two weeks from today, then Marshall is going to take off in the book of the Revelation, and he's starting in chapter 4. We're going to move past the section that we've covered in last month, previous months on the, uh, the messages by, from Christ to the, the churches, the seven churches. He's going to pick it up after that, starting in chapter 4, Lord willing, to the end of the book. So we have a plan. In fact, we even have somebody else lined up after that in the time after Marshall has finished the book of the Revelation. I'm not going to be cynical, okay? Turn to chapter 11. I'm going to read the Word of God, and then I'm going to lead us in prayer. All right? Cast your bread on the surface of the waters, for you will find it after many days. Divide your portion to seven or even to eight, For you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. If the clouds are full, they pour out rain upon the earth. And whether a tree falls toward the south or toward the north, whether the tree falls, there lies. He who watches the wind will not sow, and he who looks at the clouds not reap. Just as you do not know the path of the wind and how bones are formed in the womb of the pregnant woman, so you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. Sow your seed in the morning, and do not be idle in the evening, for you do not know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed, or whether both of them alike will be good. The light is pleasant. It's good for the eyes to see the sun. Indeed, if a man shall live many years, let him rejoice in them all, and let him remember the days of darkness, for they shall be many. Everything that is or is to come is futility. Rejoice, young man, during your childhood, and let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood, and follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. Yet, know that God will bring to you, you you to judgment for all these things. So, remove grief and anger from your heart and put away pain from your body because childhood and the prime of life are fleeting. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. All scripture, all of these holy writings are profitable for us because they are God breathe. You're speaking to us today through your word, every one of us. All that have the Spirit of God living within us do to the work of making us alive because we were dead. And whenever we hear the word, whenever we read the word, you want our attention and you are worthy of it. 
And as we consider this chapter again today in this, this important book of Ecclesiastes, we thank you for it. We praise you for it. We praise you for the way that ultimately all of your word is pointing to the great redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for Christ. Thank you for what you've done for us in this great work of saving sinners. Bless our time together, we pray, and we ask these things in accordance with what Christ would pray himself. In his name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. It's been said, maybe you've heard it, that last words are often intended to be lasting words. And we're coming, and really in, in chapter 11 and chapter 12, we're, we're rounding third in the book of Ecclesiastes. And so there are some lasting words and principles that Solomon is, is giving to us. By the way, you notice that in other writings of the Scriptures, how, and in a sermon, when a sermon comes to its, to its conclusion, or even today, to our conclusion, there needs to be things that are the, the, the main things, right, that we want to remember, we want to take with us. Uh, think about that with reference to books like Second uh, Peter that's all about... Um, of, of suffering and persecution and living for Christ in the last days. And then his last thing that Peter says in 2 Peter is what? A main thing, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Or think of the book of Jude that gives us all that uh, challenging information about false teachers and last days. And then the book of Jude um, ends with this great benediction to encourage us that the Lord will keep us from stumbling and his, his care and assurance in our lives. So uh, I'm just emphasizing here the, the importance of us catching these, these final words that he's giving us in, in chapter 11 and chapter 12, how to, view, how to view life, how to live the life that God has given to us, and how to prepare that we're going to get to the end of chapter 12, how to prepare for what's next. So we have an outline. I have an outline, Lord willing, of the verses that we read uh, this morning. So I'm going to give those to you up front in verses 1 through 6. Maybe you've ca caught it because it said a, it repeated a thing that you do not know, right? So we see in verses 1 through 6 that life is uncertain, but there are commands whereby we are called to embrace it. And then we're going to see in chapter, in verse 7 through verse 10, same emphasis but from a little di different angle, that life is a gift given to us, and we caught a couple of times in the reading that we are called to rejoice in it or enjoy it. And in case I would forget... I want to just repeat one of those most basic um, from the uh, confessions that we should all know, and that is, uh, what is our purpose in life? That we would glorify God. Everybody with me? Say amen. That we would glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That would include this life 
as well as the life to come. Didn't you enjoy the Lord this morning just getting together and seeing each other and just, just coming together in the fellowship that we have in him? But notice a little footnote there with reference to enjoy it. We must enjoy it responsibly. And more what I mean by that right from the text that we have covered. So, as one person has said, Solomon has given us all kinds of ways in describing the futility of life under the sun. Now, in preparing for the climactic finish of his sermon, he gives us some overarching principles on which to base our lives. So, he has one of the things that he has reminded us often is the reality of, of, of that if anything is true about life under the sun, it is unpredictable and it is uncertain. In fact, let's just go back to chapter 9, the beginning of it. You, you, we've caught this many times, but I'm just going to give you one example other than our text here, Okay. Uh, chapter 9, verse 1, For I have taken all this to my heart and explained explain it that righteous men, wise men, and their deeds are in the hand of God. Man, here it is again, does not know whether it be love or hatred. Anything awaits him. It's the same for all. Same for all mankind. So life is filled with uncertainty. Life is filled with being the reality of being unpredictable. And so we make plans, and they get changed, or even our plans go up in smoke. Things happen to you in this life, things that you never dreamed would experience to you. That's the reality of this life. In fact, even our Savior taught us about the foolishness of being presumptuous of thinking that you own tomorrow. And we don't. We own today. All of us could give examples how our lives have been radically changed by, by God. In fact, as I was thinking about this, and I'm just pointing out the point of the outline and how he says repeatedly some four times in the first six verses, you do not know. You own today. We don't own tomorrow or days, days to come. I have a vivid memory of that on a particular Sunday. I don't remember the text that I was preaching on, but in that text, I brought up the reality of our hope of heaven. It may have been Ephesians 1. I don't remember the text. I think I was in Ephesians. There was a gentleman who was a guest here for that Sunday. In fact, he had, he had come a couple of times uh, by invitation, some other folks. He seemed to be a very... Uh, Fine guy, and at the end of the service, and that's when we were in the front end of the building, we met in the main part of the foyer there. And he, on the way out, I greeted him, and he said, man, the Lord is, is good, and isn't going to be something. And he said, isn't heaven going to, isn't it going to be great? And we just stood there for a couple of minutes, and he was just rejoicing in the hope of eternity. Well, that gentleman went home, uh, had a friend make him dinner. He sat down in his lounge chair and went home to heaven. How about that? By the way, I'd like that today. 
that I go home. Well, we have the senior saints lunch. We have the senior saints lunch. I go home, sit in my lounge chair, and beat Deborah to heaven. I would like to do that today. Now, I don't know, but I know this. What a reminder. And that's how what, what relationship, the New Testament drives that home. The whole Bible drives it home. James says, uh, don't be presumptuous about your plans, right? And he says, why? You don't know. Therefore, he says, you should say what? Ah, the Lord willing, we're going to make these particular plans. By the way, that should be more than something that we say occasionally. It's something that we should live every day. And so all of our plans, we just we submit them to the God of heaven, and we live based upon the fact of a knowledge of God that our lives are in his hands, not ours. Can you say amen to that? So some four times, he says in these verses, you don't know. But here's the point. These statements are given to you in the context of thoughtful and aggressive activity. Verse 1 begins with a command. So you're still supposed to be busy about things. Verse down in verse 6 begins with a command. Sow your seed. So anything else that it says about you don't know about the future is to be in the context of the fact that you are to be busy about life's opportunities today. Deborah, what did you say your Bible said in verse 1? Life's filled with opportunities? Yeah, it's a good, just re good reminder concerning that. So whatever is the meaning of verse 1, and it's a little bit difficult to figure out where I'm going to land, but I think I know where I'm going to land. Um, but I love the reminder that when it comes to our Bibles, and our understanding the scriptures, the main things are the plain things, and the plain things we keep as the main things, okay? And a main part of this section, in fact, I believe uh, that my friend D.R. Glenn's put it forward to us in a principle, and, or in a particular point, and it's this. Ignorance of the future must never lead to inactivity, Life calls for diligent labor. So what the things that we don't know should never keep us from doing what we do know. And what we do know is the Bible says to us things like this. Do you know 1 Corinthians 15, 58? Be ye steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for your for you know that your labor is never in vain. I got paraphritic at the end of that, didn't I? But that's the gist of that passage. That's even concerning future things for us. So, and here's a little bit of an expanded idea of that. Uh, ignorance of the future must never, I kind of whittled it down, never lead to inactivity or even despair. Rather, life calls us continually for diligent labor. So, cast your bread on the surface of the waters, for you will find it after many days. Divide your portion to seven or even eight. Again, for you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. Now, from there and in this chapter, people like Swindoll, they just take off and they say things like this. If this section is anything, it's to be bullish in life. And to go for it, I'm just quoting uh, Swindoll here, go for it. Don't just exist 
in the time that you have in this life. Rather, live your life to the max. And we would add to that for the Lord, and I know that's the assumption behind that. Wearsby makes the statement, life's an adventure. Embrace it with all uh, that you are worth. And we've just said the beginning in these first six verses is that life is uncertain. We should embrace it. Now, this metaphor at the beginning of chapter 1, I believe, um, from my understanding of it, is that Solomon is not using this with reference to sowing seed that he talks about later. But at the beginning of this, he is using a familiar um, type of uh, a metaphor that relates to something that was common in Solomon's trade by sea. And that is a primary trade item or commodity commonly was grain, and it would be loaded up in ships and sent off to trade for other goods throughout the rest of the world. And Solomon had a navy and many, many ships, so we know that that's a good possibility, a reality. But the problem was sailing was a risk. Why? Because going to sea would be dangerous for weather and for many other reasons or uh, pirates or whatever would take place. So a point it would seem best here, in my understanding, is that he's saying don't allow the risk to keep you from the challenge, but rather diversify by sending your goods in more than one ship. In fact, I have a note here to my Ryrie footnote. They're not inspired. Excuse me, but he says about verse 1, cast your bread on the surface of the waters. A metaphor expression taken from the grain trade of a seaport town illustrating the successful prospects of a bold business venture. Now, there are others who are saying, no, you're taking it out of the major context here. It's talking about the spreading of your seed and do so in ground that is wet that you know will give you a good return. You might have a footnote in your study Bible that says something to that particular effect. Well, one thing we know for sure, and we know this from an old saying that we are familiar with, at least a lot of you people I think would be familiar with this old saying. Do you know this one? It goes this way, don't put all your eggs, what? In one basket. There it is. And if anything is true, he's saying that right here. But why would you do that? Why would he be saying this? Because of what he says at the end of verse 2. You do not know what misfortune may occur. We could even stretch that with you or with others. So how about a paraphrase that I thought was helpful to this? Because, well, then why do we want to be, uh, why do we want to maximize with risk what we may have? And I think this is a helpful paraphrase. Um, In fact, I don't know which particular paraphrase this is from, but I notice uh, Swindoll has it in his particular chapters, and I thought, ah, that's pretty helpful. So this is not Scripture, but just somebody saying it in their own words. And I think it might be a helpful paraphrase. He says, give generously, for your gifts will return to you later. 
Divide your gifts among many, for in the days ahead you yourself may need much help. In fact, if you have a study Bible like I do, you'll probably see references to Deuteronomy and the law or Proverbs and wisdom and passages that refer to generosity. And so many understand the whole idea of this is that don't hesitate, though you don't know what's going on in life, but go for it because you will be able to have an opportunity, either a a blessing returned to yourself or to be able to help others. Here's some others who have commented on these verses. Now, whether this is talking about business and commerce, like the sea trade, or whether this is simply speaking about life in general, the idea is that because the future is uncertain, there is risk involved in what we do. But that risk is not meant to paralyze. Rather, it is meant to free us to do what we do generously. Any financial advisor on Wall Street will tell you to adopt the long-term view. Although, when he's talking about casting your bread upon the water, I don't think he's talking about feeding ducks, and I don't think he's talking about Wall Street. Do you? Amen? Anybody with me on this? Okay, what I'm saying? I'm not trying to be cynical. Um, Any wise friend will remind you that the future is uncertain, and so you should should distribute risk by not putting all your eggs in one basket, here's that old saying. And some people will say, the future's uncertain, so eat dessert first. I like that. How about you? But I like what else he says. This is from Gibson's book, Looking at Life Backwards. He says, you may not live to 80, so why save and save and save? Spend now and enjoy it while you can, in the right context. But here's what Ecclesiastes is saying, the future is uncertain, so give your dessert. <laughs> Give your dessert away. <laughs> I thought that was, that was good. Am I the only one laughing at that particular uh, thing that he is, he's saying there? So if we're going to be generous now, verse 3 seems to emphasize this with telling us that there are a lot of uncertainties in life. If the clouds are full, they pour out rain upon the earth. Whether a tree falls in the south or the north, whether, even, uh, whether ever the tree falls, well, okay, there it lies. But now look at verse 4. He who watches the wind will not sow, and he who looks at the clouds will not reap. Okay, see in verse 3 you've got these uncertainties. So in verse 4, in light of these random events of life, it may cause you to not embrace life due to its unpredictability. He who watches the wind will not sow, and he who looks at the clouds will not reap. When I helped Grandpa on the farm, we bail hay. He was always checking the weather report, right? Checking the weather. We're going to have rain? We sure don't want to bale hay in the rain. The flip side of that is he just about died whenever it rained and the hay was already in the field and get wet. And he'd have to go out and rake it again, turn it over, and light it drying with the sun. So we'd be all ready to go at it. And we'd be set. You know, we've got the wagons, got the tractors ready. But there's a possibility of rain. So my think was, thinking was, oh, Grandpa, let's just bale hay another day. Um, his thinking was, we, we need to go at it. But he was very cautious. So many times when it would say moisture that day, maybe 50%, he'd say, we better wait because we don't want to bale it, have it wet, have a mess, have it get mold and, and uncertainty. But then there were times when we would wait and he, he would say, we should have went after it. 
we should have went for it. What is he saying in these verses? If you sit and watch the wind, not so, and he who looks at the clouds, he will not reap. Don't let it keep you, keep you, or cause you to be immobile due to the potential of negative circumstances. We can get very negative even about life. Now, more than one commentary will relate this to getting older, and they base it on verse 8, says, look at verse 8, indeed, if a man should live many years, okay, and then he's going to contrast that in verse 9 with the youth. And there's an application that goes with this from many, and that is this particular idea. Old age will definitely slow us down. Any amens there? But don't let it stop you from living. The application is, for those who have lived many years, later in life we can retire sometimes from living if we're not careful. And Swindoll has a way of saying things, doesn't he? And he says it, whoop, uh, William uh, Walter uh, Kaiser is a great scholar of of the Old Testament. And here's a comment that he makes. I want to quote him first. Be liberal and generous to as many as you can, and then some is the way we would say it. So make as many friends as you can, for you never know what you yourself may be needing assistance instead of becoming miserly just because you fear that the future may hold some evil reversal of your fortunes, leaving you in poverty and want. You should be all the more distribute to as to as many as possible so that you can have the blessing of receiving in the event of such reverses. Be careful. We don't just give in order to get, right? But uh, Proverbs 19.17, here's one of those passages that I mentioned about being gracious to others, being gracious. But Swindoll says it this way, be careful to not fall in love with the security and comfort of your lounge chair, having been controlled by fear of the unpredictability of life. And those of us that are maybe a little closer to the end than to the beginning and would fit into the aged in this world, we can, we can understand that a bit, can we not? That there's a tendency sometimes in life we say, well, you know, let the younger people do it and we're going to retire from being active or in the church, which you all know because we have servants here, we don't retire from serving the Lord. We just find continued in new ways with life's changes to be able to serve. Now, there you ought to say amen. There you ought to actually say amen. Say amen. Yeah, just new ways in life to be able to do that as God gives us strength to do so. And I thought I might just stretch that a little bit with talking about somebody because you know that when people aren't here, I can what? I can talk about them. So, and because we have such an atmosphere of service here this morning, we were even thanking the Lord uh, for you as servants in our prayer time this morning and be re- reminded of that if somebody who's asking, wait a minute, I want, I want to be more involved. I haven't been able to in times past, and how can I get back involved in serving others? So I want to thank you for that atmosphere based upon your understanding as believers who are saved unto service, right? But I want to talk about Don and Barb Lewis for a moment. Now, you're not going to see them for a while because they're in 
Texas, right? Where they go in the winter, which I understand that part, okay? But they go there in order to serve. And they've done this for several years. There's a Bible school, Bible college there, um, and they have a great atmosphere of, 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 of uh, emphasis of missions, and they go there, and they both are involved in serving however they can there. By the way, they don't just serve there. When they're here, they serve here, if you watch Don and you watch Barb. So I know they give all the glory to that, but I also know that Don's in his 80s, and Barb is, well, she's been 59 for several years. You don't mention a woman's age, okay? So you could say, but now wait a minute. If I head down there, what about we're away from our doctors we're familiar with? And what about if we have car trouble? And what about if I get sick away from home? I don't know about you, but I don't want to get sick away from home. How about you? And those factors can cause you to, to fail, to seize the opportunities that we have at all, at all phases of life. So, verse 5, just as you do not know the path of the wind or how bones are formed in the womb of the pregnant woman, so you don't know the activity of God who makes all things. But then he says in verse 6, you may not know, but sow your seed in the morning and do not be idle in the evening. For you do not know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed or whether both of them alike will be good. So go for it. Stay focused and, and serving. Um, maybe you don't so much need that, but I know I need that in my, in my own life. Wiersbe says, just as nobody knows the way of the wind or how life is formed in the womb, so nobody knows the works of God in his creation. God has a time and purpose for everything, chapter 3. And we need to live by faith and by faith in his word. Therefore, use each day wisely. Get up early and sow your seed and work hard until evening. Do the job at hand and redeem the time from Ephesians 5. Trust in God to bless at least some of the tasks you've accomplished. Just as the merchant sends out more than one ship, so the farmer works more than one crop. Life is an adventure of faith. That's his focus on these verses. And each of us is like a merchant investing in today, which will pay dividends tomorrow. We are like the farmer sowing various kinds of seed in different soils, trusting God for the harvest. If we worried about the wind toppling a tree over on us or the clouds drenching us with rain, we wouldn't accomplish anything. So seize the opportunities and go for it. Now we have the second part of that particular um, outline. Not only is life uncertain in many ways, but still we are to embrace it Second part in verses 7 through verse 10 is that life is a gift and we should enjoy it. And when we read verse 7, Derek Kidner tells us that verse 7 is about the bliss, about the bliss, about the joy of just being alive. Life is to be enjoyed, but it's to be enjoyed responsibly. Now, 7 and 8, let me read those again. The light is pleasant and it is good for the eyes to see the sun. I agree with that. Indeed, if a man should live many years, let him rejoice in them all and let him remember the days of darkness for they shall be many. Yeah, everything that is to come. 
is vanity, is futility. Now he's back to that thing under the sun, the reality of darkness, of death. We have to prepare for that. So, you know, I wanted to pull that verse up in light of serving. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What a great reminder in that 16th chapter and that um, great section. Solomon wrote metaphorically, this is from the Bible Knowledge Commentary, of light and darkness, okay? Verse 7, the light is pleasant and it is good for the eyes to see the sun. Light and darkness, life and death. He characterizes the future after death as obscure and enigmatic. Solomon encouraged his readers to enjoy life as long as they live because life, like the pleasant light of the sun, should be enjoyed before the coming of the dark night of death, which will last forever. So, another old saying, take time to stop and smell roses or flowers. Which is it? (laughs) Which is it? The roses. I talked about my grandfather. Now let me talk about my grandma. That was her. If you go out and walk around the facility or something, there's some flowers are blooming. She had to stop and uh, smell the flowers. And if we'd ever take her to a mall, which we couldn't after we figured out one time we weren't going to take her again, because if you were coming at her and you had a stroller with a little baby, she had to stop you to see that little infant. She had a way of just enjoying life. And in verse 7, thank you for letting me brag on my grandpa and grandma. They were sinners of need of Christ, that's for sure. But the light is pleasant, and it's good for the eyes to see the sun. Just the bliss of being alive. Take time to stop. Do stop. But now wait a minute. Who is it that can most enjoy these, this life? It's those who are prepared, what? For the next one. So don't leave, don't lose that. And he's taking us to the end of the book to emphasize that. But life is a gift. Just enjoy the sun. And we need to prepare Pastor um, and Jara for the fact that in a couple more weeks, they will not see the sun, Indiana, for about two months. It's going to get miserable. Okay? So when the spring hits, you're going to walk outside and you're going to go, man, is it good to be alive. Yesterday was a day like that, though a little cold, right? Just to be up. That's the idea here. Light's pleasant. It's going to be a day you don't see it here, but as a believer, you say, well, I'm going to enjoy it here, but i got a real joy to come in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, indeed, if a man should live many years, verse 8, wow, let him rejoice in them all. And let him remember the days of darkness, for they shall be many. Everything that is to come, there's going to be some futility about the reality of, of darkness to come. And in this life, there are plenty of hard times that we experience. So let's enjoy the part of life and be thankful that we can. And we even know in the hard times that God is working in our lives in good ways. Amen? So that's how we, above the sun, knowing the Lord through Christ, can really, Jesus came to give us life and life, what, more? More abundantly. 
in light of knowing him. So it's always back to that, wait a minute, do you fear God? Do you fear God? Do you know him? Because this life, this life is truly a mist, is it not? Aiken says in his commentary, dark days, which ultimately is the reality of death, is a means to enjoy this present life now and a means to live life wisely with God in mind. Good counsel there. And then he says in verse 9, and I believe over into verse 10, he speaks to the youth likewise. Now here's his paraphrase again uh, from chapter, uh, verse 7 and 8. It's a wonderful thing to be alive. If a person lives to be very old, let him rejoice in every day of life. But let him also remember that eternity is far longer and that everything down here is futile in comparison to then. I think that's another helpful, another helpful paraphrase. All right, so verse 9 now, verse 9, and to the youth rejoice, young man, young man, during your childhood, and let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood, and follow the impulses of your heart and the desire of your eyes. Whoa, responsibly, right? So what is he saying to the youth? We could say, really, everybody under 40. That's kind of the dividing line in the Bible, isn't it? When you start to get wisdom, you hit 40. Under that, you're, you're still in the youth category, okay? And if you're over 40, um, you're just envious of those who are still in the 40 category, right? Buddy, what is he saying to the youth? Enjoy it. Enjoy your, enjoy your life right now. Don't be thinking, I wish I was older and whatever, you know? Don't the youth be thinking, I wish I was older, and the age don't be thinking what? I wish I was younger. Come on. Be thankful for life today, right now, and give God glory for it. So, taken in this life for the youth, enjoy life. It's a gift from your creator. Enjoy sports. Enjoy pizza, because mom and dad are usually the ones who pay for it. Amen? Enjoy being active. Enjoy rock climbing, paintball, learning new things, whatever. And follow the impulses of your heart. Now, wait a minute, let's be careful. And, and desires of your eyes. In other words, responsible, it's okay to dream about being a... What do you want to be in life? I want to be a veterinarian. Okay, it's okay to dream about that. Think about that. Or it's okay to say, well, someday I would like to... Visit the whole world. Okay, that's, that's fine. It's okay to consider these things, all right? But if you underline in your Bible, in verse 9, or circle, I have mine circle, the word yet. Yet. So enjoy life, but responsibly. Youth is a time of enjoyment before the problem of older age that you can't do some things that you're able to do now. Be thankful for that. But don't forget about God. Kevin, read the rest of the verse. Know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. Don't live 
your life. This is the counsel for all, but particularly now to the youth. Don't live your life independent of God. Don't live your life without wisdom. Ah, where does it start? Proverbs 1.7. What is the beginning of wisdom? Fear of the Lord. God, don't lose sight of him for a moment. Don't lose sight of him for a moment. Young man, it's wonderful to be young. Enjoy every minute of it. Worked in the backyard with our grandsons yesterday. <laughs> I couldn't wait to go to bed. I tried to keep up to them working. They worked me tired. By the way, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. But I pay for it when they go inside and, and just like little birds say, food, 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 food. Do all that you want to. Take it in everything. But realize that you must account to God for everything you do. So banish grief and pain, but remember that youth with a whole life before it can make serious mistakes. Don't let the excitement of being young cause you to forget about your creator. Live with God as your environment in everything. That's the Deuteronomy 6 idea in parenting. Bring God into everything going on in their lives so that your children grow doing all that they do in light of the fact that they are living omnipresence, that God is real and he is aware and he is and matters to uh, him about our choices. Spurgeon said, youthful sins lay a foundation for aged sorrows. Is that not true? That's true. God's grace is sufficient. So God is fully aware of every decision of your and my heart, the choices that we make throughout our life. It's interesting. Psalm 10, verse 11, says the wicked or the fool, he says that God has forgotten and his face is hidden and he will not see it. <laughs> see, he, he believes God isn't aware or doesn't know about things he's done or things that he's doing. But he, he is deceived, is he not? And maybe you would be deceived likewise in thinking the same way. So live with God is the very reality of how we live with him in mind each day that he's given to us. Think about David. How old was he when he took on that big Philistine giant? He was a youth, was he not? Tried to put the armor on him and it just about fell off correct? You don't think a hot heart for God as a young boy, young girl, matters to God? Uh, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 20. Psalm Proverbs 11, verse 20 says this. I'll read it before you get there. The perverse in heart are an abomination to the Lord, but the blameless in their walk are his, God's delight. His delight Glorify God and enjoy him and know that your life and your choices with God in mind, it matters to the God of heaven. So, yeah, remember this passage likewise. Now this verse is in the context of a king who refused to do right before the Lord 
And the Lord reminds this king of this fact. The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the whole earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Then he says to this king, you've acted foolishly in this. Indeed, from now on, you will surely have wars. But notice that God, his eyes, and it's a beautiful reflexive verb. It's the idea that he's watching and what's going on matters to him. And, and he's in the business of honoring that and using your life as you choose him. That's a great verse, isn't it? Great verse. So, what is true of all three of these verses that we want to drive home in the lives of our children and we want to live likewise no matter how much God gives us life? What is common to all three of these verses? Look at them, survey them, and tell me what is common to all three. And then I'm going to wrap up here. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home, to be, everybody say it, pleasing to him. Colossians 1.10, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to what? In all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing the knowledge of God. 1 Thessalonians 4.1, finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that you receive from us instruction how you ought to walk and what? There it is. I can't think of anything more practical concerning counsel to the young person concerning their choices in life. Determine you're going to please God. Now, as parents, when our children choose to do the right thing and they tell us about that, we are pleased. Amen? Amen? We are pleased. We thank them. Hey, thank you. You had the right thing in mind there. If it matters that much to us sinners, how much does God delight in our choosing to please him. Isn't that a wonderful truth? He delights in it. He delights in it. So what do we take away from 11? Hey, life is short. Life is a gift. Enjoy it. Embrace it, but do so responsibly in the fear of the Lord. For you and I understand as adults, that means you know God through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you live life knowing that this life comes to an end. The next life in fact, we're, we're living eternally right now in Christ, are we not? And we live then responsibly to the glory of God, knowing that we're going to, at the end of chapter 12 for next week, we're going to stand before him one day. And in terms of our serving, we want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful, faithful servant. Thank you that you characterize that as a body in so many ways. I say that to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this chapter. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the principles of not allowing all the challenges, uh, even difficulties in this life to cause us to fail, to be active, to be serving. Could I even say this morning, even to be thankful, thankful for our salvation above all else. Thank you for the Word of God as we're going to hear it brought to us again in just a few moments. Uh, thank you for the, the admonition that we have in this chapter to rejoice for all the blessings that are ours from a good God. And I pray these things in Christ's name for your glory. And all his people said, Amen.